Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Gina, it's fantastic to have you all over the podcast today. Uh, You and I have known each other, gosh, I guess for about two to three years uh, through the other business you're involved with, Hybrid Ag, and obviously today we're talking about farm, but wonderful to have you here. Perhaps uh, just to get things moving along, tell us a little bit about your current professional responsibilities. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yeah, it's been an, it's been a, an interesting ride over the last few years as we've, as we've got to know each other, work together, for sure. So um, my current professional responsibilities um, are across a couple of different businesses, as you mentioned. Um, but with Vard Group, um, I actually was involved in, in starting, co-founding the business, and my current role is as, as sales director. Um, and as a effectively a startup, this business, it's been a, a very unique role from the point of view of, of, of being able to provide um, enough direction um, strategically um, whilst learning the industry at the same time and, and really getting an insight into, into the industry. So it's been, it's been a fascinating role. My, my role in hybrid ag has been much more around um, business development um, and product development than it has as, as direct sales. Um, or ongoing account management, and so that's been a, it's been an interesting um, career, that's for sure. Going Fantastic. through the process of yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we'll certainly. Uh, I'm keen to explore a bit about about that. But why don't we just talk? So, um, uh, for sharing with the listeners, so Hybrid Ag is uh, a family business that you're involved in, um, and then Vard Group has kind of emerged out of that business. So, whilst you say. Vard as a startup, it's a startup in terms of it specifically, but it, it's, it's sort of evolved out of a, a business that's been around for some time. So tell us a little bit about, you know, hybrid ag and, and, uh, and then what led to, you know, the, the birth, for want of a better term, of Vard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so hybrid ag um, is, a, is a unique and fascinating business. Um, and it's, it's effectively a fertiliser business for want of a better term. Um, but realistically, what it does is provides nutrient um, solutions to the horticultural market in particular. Um, and it has a really, really strong purpose, which is really exciting, and that is transforming food for health. So there's this concept and understanding um, as science continues to evolve around the world that as we really, really understand what we can do with nutrient inputs at a plant process level, we're going to have a distinct and profound impact on human health through the food that humans consume. Um, and so that's a very, very exciting business. And it's what's happened is as a result of its, of its in-depth desire for understanding the science of plant process, it has led us down a lot of different paths um, from a manufacturing and fertiliser level um, that a standard fertiliser business probably doesn't normally go down. It doesn't go down at all, really, because it, you stick to your, your, your standard meat and free veg, effectively, yeah. or, or fertiliser. So it, it's taken us down the route of, of, um, of plant health, and when you go down the route of plant health, you get into a lot of very in-depth chemical um, manufacture um, 
and science. And one of the things that that led us down was, was using polymers in some of our the manufacture process. And polymers and surfactants are used extensively throughout the cleaning industry. Um, and specifically uh, in hand sanitizer as one of them. And at the start of COVID, we were, we were approached by um, a group of companies who I'm mates with a few of the, 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 uh, the gentlemen in charge of those business businesses and were presented with an opportunity to actually try and make some hand sanitizer before uh, when it was very, very light you know, in the market. Um, and we did that very, very successfully um, and, and made an awful lot of hand sanitizer at the start of COVID before the import product hit. Um, with, a, with an understanding that, you know, there was a lot of imports coming in from overseas and there would be a, a requirement to, to, to not continue manufacturing. And it caught, it, 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 sadly, it caught a number of, of uh, companies out who were making an Australian-made product and, and a glut hit the market. Nevertheless, um, out of that has come Vard Group. So with the understanding of, of the the cleaning products that we can make, some of the innovations that can be put forward around disinfectant and sanitisation um, and hand care. Um, VARD Group was, was created and out of that. But it's, it's backed up, I suppose, by uh, a 20-year-old business um, that's been manufacturing uh, in the chemical industry for, for 15 um, of those 20 years. Yeah, so okay. Uh, all right. So basically, so uh, if I understand correctly, so you've been you've been manufacturing these uh, fertilisers, um, and then when uh, uh, COVID started to get people's attention, beginning of last year, um, you can see that it probably wasn't too much of a pivot for your business to not only be manufacturing fertilisers, but also to be manufacturing these hand sanitizer products as well. What I'm interested in, and what you just said then, is that. You know, obviously, uh, there was a much higher demand for them. And then um, the importing of uh, probably cheaper and uh, higher, lower quality product uh, really uh, caused a lot of problems for Australian manufacturers to hand, of hand sanitizers. So how did you guys uh, uh, avoid falling into that trap then? So, so because... Um our, our ties, if you like, or links with um, raw material manufacturers and the fact that in our other business, in hybrid ag, we do a lot of importing ourselves of raw okay. material. And so we had touch with a lot of the importers and the importers were telling us at that point, especially in China, but even in, in Europe, um, there, was, there was the amount of raw materials of hand sanitizer and cheap manufactured hand sanitizer that was on the wharf in order going on a boat to Australia. So we got visibility ahead of that some 11 weeks before it hit Australia. Um, and we were able to, as a result of, of some of those insights, wind down our manufacturing or, or, or stop supply um, and, and only order enough material for what we required or what we could, could manufacture before that date. Right, but moving forward from here, then, uh, is it uh, you? You are no longer manufacturing in Australia. You're bringing the materials in internationally, which go into your products, or have you been able to way, find a way to manufacture in Australia, which makes you as competitive as the uh, the stuff that's being brought in uh, internationally? 
Yeah, so I, I suppose that's been the that's been the um the trick has been to to find the Australian made product um, and make it competitive, and we have done that. It's been a, been it's been quite a lot of fun to the point where uh, we've been able to match on bulk order quantities the cheap Chinese pricing with an Australian made product. Right. Wow. Fantastic. And, and so that's been a yeah, it's been excellent. And I, and I suppose like a lot of industries. Uh, uh, what's happened with COVID is it's really made us very cognizant of the fact that for a lot of things that we've been relying on importing, if there's supply chain issues, you know, due to you know, things like COVID and it's not manufactured locally, we can be in big trouble, right? So the fact that you can manufacture locally and compete internationally, uh, I imagine that the, the appetite for that in the market must be very strong. Yes, yeah, Richard, the, the appetite is is incredibly strong um, and the opportunities as a result of that appetite are somewhat endless. Right. Um, almost mind-bogglingly so. <laughs> well, let's let's come back to that uh, a little bit further in this conversation because one of the things, uh, you know, I was introduced to you and your family uh, through a, a mutual uh, business acquaintance uh, at a conference a few years ago and uh, I got the opportunity to come down and visit your facilities in Wangaratta and get to know um, about your um, hybrid ag business. But why don't you just talk us through, you know, a bit of the history. So, uh, you know, from, you know, your early life with your family and the fact that, you know, you've grown as a family and, you know, it seems that all of your brothers and your dad and everybody's involved. Uh, t- tell us the story. Yeah, so the, the, the Judah Rowe story, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> So I, I suppose it goes back to um, an outlook on life, um, which I've been um, blessed to have had an accident when I was nine years old uh-huh. and finished in a wheelchair, as you would well know. I do. And um, that has been the most incredible opportunity that anybody could be offered in life because it gives you the ability to meet people and see the opportunities in life that I think a lot of people don't see. And it gives you an incredible um, thankfulness just to be alive. And now, that, that, yeah, that's, uh, for somebody who's been through an accident, you know, and, and, uh, and as a result has had a, you know, an ongoing disability, to have that attitude is incredibly positive. You know, was that something that, you know, you, you know, was feeling instantaneous for you or did you have to really sort of do some self-searching and, uh, uh, in order to see the, the silver lining, so to speak? No, well, I suppose it's very, very different. Incredibly lucky. When you have an accident at a younger age, um, it, it doesn't feel like a problem. Right. Um, it, it's never a problem. You're growing up, you grow up with, a, 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 for, for want of a better term, a different set of shoes. Yeah. Um, and, and nothing is a problem. Um, but I suppose I was, I, was, I was lucky to be a part of a, a family that didn't see it as a problem either um, and was prepared to push the boundaries as to what, what was or wasn't acceptable in a, in, in a uh, wheelchair. And it's, um, but I suppose it, it, it's really the reason I mention it is because it, it develops a desire or philosophy to live um, and, and live life to the fullest. Um, and part of that is is an understanding that learning is absolutely critical to to having a positive outlook on life, because you can you can never know enough things, and that's that thirst for knowledge that's really driven me throughout 
um, my career um, and, and that desire just to continue to grow and be a, be a better human um, as well as, as better at, at um, life in a professional career sense. And you're one of, is it three or are there four brothers? No, no, there's, there's, there's two brothers, so there's three of us, yeah. Three, right, okay. And some sisters as well? No sisters, no oh. sisters, yeah, and mum and dad. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose um, I, we, we grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, in, in suburban Melbourne and then moved to Wangaratta, which is northeast Victoria, absolutely gorgeous part of the world when I was um, in my mid-teens. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where we really developed a, a love of, of country life, a love of farms and a love of what, what is, you know, simple, I suppose, in life. So what, um, sort of work, what sort of work were your parents doing when you were in Melbourne? So they were scrap metal merchants. Okay. I suppose that's a that's a great story for for another day uh, right. if you ever if you ever catch up with Tom. But um, they were scrap metal merchants and sold that business um, and, and were looking for something that was that was uh, effectively recession proof uh-huh. uh, as a new business to, to to look at. And one of the things that came up was that that people have to eat. So regardless of uh, of a recession, people have to eat, and that led. Um, Tom and Cliff, that's my grandfather and father, down the path of looking into agriculture and it, it aligned with a time when um, my father had some very severe health issues Yeah, and he was able to, to change some of those health issues by changing the food that he was eating and that led him into that, the, the idea of nutrition um, at a farm gate level to affect health right. at a human level. Well, so it's a, you know, there's a lot of bravery in that story, isn't it? I mean, what, number one, you're moving from Melbourne to the country. Number two, moving into an entirely new, you know, industry. Yeah. And whilst at the same time having, you know, a bunch of run grants running around and some health issues uh, uh, to contend with, uh, you know, that's a lot to deal with. I imagine uh, it was a very uh, interesting time for the family. And so what prior to hybrid ag, you know, when they originally got there, you know, were they actually in, uh, uh, you know, um, as farming per se, or and did that lead into hybrid ag, or did they immediately move into that sort of uh, uh, agrochemical space? So that was the, fir- the first move was to go into that agrochemical space, okay. um, looking, at, looking at alternatives to what was currently being done. Right. Um, <clears throat> And that was, that was a direct move, um, but it was driven by the fact that historically, uh, one set of grandparents had, had, were apple and pear uh, orchardists out of Harcourt. Okay, yeah. So that was in the blood. Uh, and the other set of grandparents, um, one was a GP right. as, a, as, a, as a medic, and the other grandparent was, was in the manufacture of hand care and skin cream product. Okay. Um, originally, they were pharmacists. Right. So there was this whole amalgamation of ideas, concepts, and previous career paths from within the family that led into the manufacture of agrochemicals for uh, the, 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 you know, the angle of helping human health yeah. um, with an ability to, to, to provide a business that was somewhat recession-proof. So it was right. this whole amalgamation of ideas that led to the formation of hybrid ag. Yeah. And isn't, isn't it interesting, you know, 15 or 20 years later that uh, you're now moving back into hand care? You know? Yeah, it's, yes. 
and and uh, that that the um the, the Rowe family, if you like, in South Australia, is still in that business. Right. Um, so uh, are they? Is that uh, are they part of this Vard Group as well? Then they are in some level. Yes. Yep. Okay. So we're we're actually selling some of their um, raw hand cream materials and moisturisers and things like that as part of uh, as a part of a product offering. Right. Oh, there you go. And so. Uh, uh, so hybrid ag, you know, started to grow and started to build a reputation, offering uh, farmers, uh, you know, some far healthier organic solutions to you know the way that they were managing their land and their crops and so on. Um, and I know because of uh, our experience working together, you know, uh, the last sort of two or three years has seen that business really accelerate, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And it's been driven by the consumers. There's been a, an appetite to to get our hands on some good quality produce. Yeah. Um, and that's been driven further up the chain at a supermarket level by a, a an, an ideology of, of helping change the world around climate change and environmental sustainability. Yeah. And then it's driving all the way back to the farm gate level where as we start to implement some of these practices – that we've been talking about for 20 years, we're seeing some increases and uptick in farm profitability and um, production levels that we didn't even think was possible, Richard. Yeah, look, uh, and it, you know, uh, so essentially the consumer had an appetite for a higher quality of produce. And then, so it's almost been a draw strategy as a result of that. It's required uh, right back to the farmer to say, well, how do we meet this demand? And and, uh, and so then um, was it really just at the beginning of COVID seeing this opportunity in the market, as you said, talking to some friends that you went, oh, there could be an opportunity here for us, you know, with what has become fun, or had that been on the drawing board for some time prior to that? No, so it had always been on the drawing board. Right. Um, due to the product manufacture that we're doing um, at a cutting edge in, in the fertiliser game. Yeah. Um, around the fact that we could create some really, really high-end um, cleaning products uh, that could make a real in impact and in, in innovation in the industry. And so um, what, if, what is that, you know, what's the innovation uh, part of what you're doing? Well, <laughs> it's a um, – that's a uh, – a very large question in this particular instance, but I'll give you an example. Some of the innovation is is the ability to provide a non toxic disinfectant, right? Um, that is completely human safe, but one hundred percent effective against a number of diseases, including COVID. Right. Um, and so, at the moment in the industry, we don't have that product uh, available. Uh -huh. But it's a product that's been used in sanitisation for disease control um, in, in the salad veg game, where they're actually putting a product on the on, on salad veg before it goes into into the packaging to keep it clean, safe for consumption. But it's a completely human safe product, right? Wow, and that's, so that's there's the ability to take that technology, and it's an expensive technology that's been developed over a long period of time for human production or human yep. consumption that hasn't made the leap across into the cleaning industry, for argument's sake. Okay. And so how did you sort of trip over that idea then? Were you just, 
you know, having a bit of a brainstorming session one night or was it, you know, you said you're somebody who loves to uh, listen and read and learn and, it, you know, what, what sort of sparked that as a concept? Yeah, so that was going through. We, um, we actually have our own farm as well, Richard, right. where we do research um, and, and development on that farm for yeah. our, our, our business. And we bought a new grading facility for packing the cherries that were, that were growing. And we're putting a sanitisation system in to clean the water and clean the cherries um, as they go across the packing line. And we're utilising uh, this technology. Um, and I was like, why isn't this product being used, you know, to clean anything? Right. And this is, this is a long time. This is four years ago. This is a long time before COVID. But it was like, you know, why isn't this used as a hand sanitizer? Why isn't this used as part of our spray and wipe systems? Um, and it was merely just a concept or an idea that was discussed around a table and then forgotten about, left alone for, you know, the next three years until COVID whacked us across the head and said, hey, guys, I'm here. Do something about your cleanliness and hygiene. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, so that's, that's, that's just an example. And there's, yeah. multiple, there's multiple opportunities um, along those lines. And so uh, is this a, a global innovation or are there examples of where others have done this internationally? Uh, so there, there are currently, there's, there's a currently a couple of fellas working on it uh, in Northern Europe um, who, have, who are putting it into practice. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I suppose one of the things with the cleaning industry is it requires a large amount of drive and quite a lot of capital to, to make an indent, to make a difference. Right. Um, it's not... It's heavily regulated and it's not heavily regulated. And the reason I say that is because there is a lot of unregulated products manufactured um, and sold through smaller chemical supply companies, cleaning supply companies, um, that don't have the rigour around the process and they can be very cheap. So getting that, that drive and, uh, and penetration into the market is absolutely critical and it's a difficult market to do it in. But it's a very rewarding market. Well, you told you know my background. I actually worked in the commercial cleaning industry for twelve years before yep. moving into recruitment. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, it is a massive industry, and uh, as you say, very challenging but very rewarding if you can do it well. Uh, and so, is the primary focus, um, Judah, on commercial applications for these products rather than domestic? Absolutely. Yeah, so our, our first and foremost um, application is going to be um, and, and focus is going to be in the commercial market. So working with cleaning supplies companies um, to, to help them, you know, really open their eyes and understand what the opportunities out there are. Um, there, there's a number of problems, I suppose, that we can go over that we identified in the commercial space. Yeah. Um, and it, there's, there's, there's a lack of solutions. And when I say, the reason I say that, and you'll know this from your, your history, but as you go through the market, there's an enormous range of products, enormous range of products. And a great example is, is a, uh, a disinfectant yep. and a surface disinfectant for a hard surface versus soft surface versus a window cleaner disinfectant versus a, uh, um, a floor cleaner. Um, versus an all-purpose cleaner, 12, 13 different products can have an identical active ingredient list. Right. 100% identical active ingredient list with different labels, different product names, different branding, uh, 
and you've just got this overwhelming, confusing mess of product. So uh, that was one of the products, the problems that we identified uh, in, in the industry. And so our, our thought was, well, let's create much smaller range of products with a much, much better uh, description of what the product is, a much better overview of the range of um, applications of use. And this is another thing that we brought over from the, from the chemical and fertiliser industry, where you'll get a product uh, delivered to your farm and you'll actually get a, a product brochure or label that lists every single crop, every single application and every single different rate to use that product in. Right. Dilution rate. Dilution rates, correct. Yeah. Application rates. So you've got the opportunity to develop um, a range of solutions for this industry where they can limit the number of products they have to, to utilise, sell, think, understand, but a very, very in-depth um, description of how to use the, that product in all of the different applications. And then the other um, side of it too, you know, as somebody who comes from the industry and understand this very well, you know, when, you, when you're trying to work with 13 different products uh, for all of these different applications and every single one has got a different kind of safety protocol and, yes. you know, uh, from an ISO point of view and so on. So if you are limiting that to a much smaller range of products and they are also safe, uh, you know, don't have a lot of those issues that the other products have, then uh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I suppose then some of the other points that we're really, we're really looking at is that there's, there's um, significant price differences across the industry um, based on volume of, of purchase, especially for the smaller guys. They really struggle to compete. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is because um, of, of the way that the pricing structure is set up from some of the, from the much larger manufacturers, and, that, and, and rightly so. But I suppose when you get into um, making large quantities of product as, as we're used to doing, um, not a cottage industry manufacturer, so you know, we're looking at making a 6,000 or 12,000 litre batch of a product, not a four to five to 800 litre batch, which would be typical from the chemical manufacturers that I've spoken to and met with. Uh, consistency of product and uh, guarantee of, of, of a sale price is much easier to, to, to work with. Sure. Um, there was, you know, some really, really poor branding. Branding hasn't moved a lot in the industry, so the opportunity to add some exciting branding, some exciting marketing, um, think outside the square, utilise social media. Um, there, there hasn't been a lot of in-branch or in-person um, representation from a lot of the manufacturers. So trying to bring some of those concepts where we've got, you know, you still uh, meet in person, you can't beat it. Right. Have somebody that, you know, people can talk to to provide some solutions. I suppose that's, that's been our, 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 our approach to it so far. It's been very successful in its early days. Fantastic. And so um, where is, where's the business at now? You've, uh, you've successfully proved concept. Um, do you actually have product now actually in the market and people buying um, this com these commercial products? Yeah, they certainly are. Yep, um, we've got a, a number of um, contracts which have, have, have started to tick over now. Okay, um, with, with larger suppliers, um, and we, we've started to really get some cut through with with some of the um, cleaning chemical suppliers within Victoria, right. um, and and just you know, giving them an alternative and an option, and, and it's being really well um, received. 
um, especially based around the fact that it, it's speed of speed of um, supply has been a big issue for a lot of the smaller supply companies. Yeah. Um, and then consistency of supply for the bigger guys. Um, and that's you know the, one of the the real benefits that we've we've seen or uptake from from Vard Group has been the ability to to dispatch same day and things like that. So yeah, we're we're, we're seeing some good uptake for the market now. It's awesome. And so when you're looking out to the future, uh, you know, not 20 years from now, but over the next two to three years, what ideally, how would you like to see this business grow? Yeah, so this business, we've, we've set a really, really strong strategic plan for, for Vard Group. Um, and it's based around the fact that we've got a completely separate uh, manufacturing site set up for it now in a clean facility. Um, and our plan for the business is to have staff in every state, in every capital city across Australia, uh, a number of distributors in New Zealand, um, national contracts, which we're, we're currently working on with a couple at the moment, and really just growing and expanding through the innovation space. So that's really the focus for us is getting our specialist understanding of products and developing innovative solutions. Um, you know, whether that be uh, a bag in a box, the old wine cask type thing, environmental packaging, um, tap um, applications, um, different dispenser solutions. But I suppose it's, it's all driven around national supply. And that's where this business is, is going to go. And, and explain the name VARD. So VARD is... Uh, Norwegian, or, or it's actually Scandinavian, for care. Okay. So for us, it's all about um, creating a cleaner world in the most caring way possible, which goes back to some of our, you know, moral philosophy from the hybrid ag to, um, model. Yep. With, with, with doing the right thing by the people. Once again, um, a lot of the cleaning chemicals that are being used um, have been used with very little regard for their impact on environment or human health. Um, and so for us, it was about, yes, we want to create a cleaner world. We want to create the cleanest world we possibly can, but we want to create it in a really, really uh, responsible, sustainable way um, using environmentally safe solutions. Um, and so for us, VARD really, as, as a business name, encapsulates that in its finest, being key. Right. Well, that's excellent. Um, and then just going back a little bit to you, Judah, because, uh, you know, as you were saying, uh, you had this accident when you were very young, but you felt very, you know, positive. And you, you mentioned to me, I, I think it might have been before we started recording, that, you know, you really love to learn and you've listened to a lot of podcasts and I know that you read a lot and so on. So, you know, as somebody who's sort of grown up through this business with your family and so on, how have you kept yourself uh, not only motivated, but by but personally growing. And what do you think are some of the skills that you've sort of taken on over the years that's enabled you to have the kind of successes that you have? I like your three-part question, Richard. Very clever. <laughs> <laughs> that, that way I get to stop talking for a while and you have to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I suppose um, mo motivation only comes from a desire um, to, to create a change. That's my personal opinion. 
the only way that somebody stays motivated is a desire for change. And that doesn't matter whether it's a desire for change as a, on a personal level, on a humanity level, or even on a, on a, you know, a relationships level um, in, your, in your close family. So I think every human being um, really, really underneath, deep down, has a motivation to change something, something in the world, something that frustrates them, something that is important to them. And that's where motivation comes from. And I'm being very lucky to have a number of things that I'm able to do every day that I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, and that's what keeps me motivated. But I love seeing uh, things grow. I love seeing things change or change implemented. And I love seeing people grow. And so that's really what's been my motivation. And learnings, I suppose, have been, have been driven from a, at a family value level since I was very, very young. But one of the, the leading um, lights, if you like, or one of the, 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 the concepts that I, I really look up to and has have, helped probably shape who I am is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. Um, and then off that, um, from that, from, from, from that philosophy, I suppose, comes a desire to learn everything there is about how humans work. So what um, do you think it is specifically about his work that resonates with you or has had the greatest impact in terms of how you've conducted yourself professionally? Um, I think his philosophy that you be true to who you are um, and that who you are is innately much better than you are today. And that's a deep, a, a deep thought, I suppose, but it's the concept that you can never, ever stop learning, never, ever stop being better. Um, it goes back to the fact, um, you know, and I, I draw back on from Albert Einstein rather than Stephen Covey here, but, you know, they, they say he used 11% of his brain power. That's an incredibly, incredibly motivating thought that there is endless potential in the human uh, psyche. Yeah. And that's probably what Stephen Covey really encapsulates across all of his thoughts is that there's this endless potential, endless potential, and it's just about how much do I want to, to be a part of that. Um, and that's really, I suppose, that, that what drives it all. It's just this, this, this concept, this idea that there's just this endless potential in what I can do, what I can be, as every human does, which is just cool. That's what the coolest things about, about humankind, um, about people, is just how, how powerful and how strong and how much they can achieve. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I'm smiling to myself because, uh, you know, it's often bandied around this, you know, we only use 10% of our brain. Now, I, I, the reality is I don't know how you actually measure it, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there is, a, you know, there's definitely a, uh, there's definitely truth to the fact that there is a lot of potential that goes untapped uh, that if we could access... Uh, you know, would be quite amazing. So, you know, will you be lining up to get um, Neuralink when it's available on the market? Do you know what that is? No, I don't. No, I don't. What's that one? Uh, so, uh, uh, I've got a mental blade. What's the, what's the, the Tesla guy? Uh, who's Elon with, Musk. Elon Musk, right? So Elon Musk has got, nice. his, he's got this business called Neuralink where basically yep. uh, you get a little hole drilled in the side of your head and they put some wires into your brain and... Uh, is originally being developed to help people who have got, you know, uh, disabilities like Alzheimer's and mm -hmm. uh, Parkinson's and things like that. But, uh, you know, you'll literally be able to access the internet in your brain. And I heard him on a podcast recently saying that within five years, in his opinion, 
people for using things like Neuralink, you, there would no longer be a requirement to speak, right? <laughs> people would just telepathically, you know, the, communicate. The, the computer in my brain will talk to the computer in your brain. So, uh, you know, I, uh, it is a brave new world we are entering and uh, what effect that will have on the, you know, do we use 10% of our brain or 20% or imagine if we use 100% far out, oh, you know. Well, I mean, you go back to a, um, one of my mentors uh, speaks um, at length on the concept of effectiveness, human effectiveness, um, and it's, you know, 100% uh, application 100% of the time is 100% effectiveness. Yeah, but you, you go to 70 70 and you're down at you know close to 30 percent effectiveness so that is 70 percent application of 70 percent of the time you're only 30 percent effective so you go down to you know 30 percent of the time 30 percent effective which i think probably rings true for <clears throat> half of you know a lot of the time that i do you know where, you, where you're sitting around not not applying yourself like you should um and, and i'm sure there's a lot of people who could put their hand up and put themselves into that boat um, and you realise just how ineffective you actually are in comparison to how effective you can be. Um, but but I suppose it's been um, leading on to that, what, what's really enthused me about the concept of how effective we can be has been helping and watching others grow. Um, and it's been interesting, you know, it's really interesting to self-reflect on your own growth. Um, and part of that, um, from a career point of view, has been surrounding ourselves with with people who have been and done and had experiences in life that we have never had, that I've never had, that can bring an insight and, a, and, a, and an idea and a, and a way of working that you didn't know existed. And that's probably really what has been the thirst of knowledge has helped um, the understanding that you need people who know more than you around you to expand your capability. And so when you look out to the future, you know, Tudor, uh, you know, VARD gets to a position where it's achieving its full potential, hybrid eggs achieving its full potential. What are, what are you excited about for your own personal future uh, from a professional point of view? Yep. So I, I <laughs> for, for me, it's all about um, uh, innovation, um, new products, new ideas, New routes to market. Um, I think we'll always, at some level, have have something in the back of our minds going forward. Uh, even if we're no longer involved in in say a VARD or a, or a hybrid uh, in the future, there'll always be something something new to drive to market. I don't think we'll ever get bored. Um, have you got your own? Well, you don't need to disclose it. So that's great. But are there other industries or other markets you go? Know, well, that's the next one. That's the next yeah, one. yeah. There is. It's one of the. <laughs> One of the uh, one of the things that we have to do on a daily basis, um, uh, Richard, is uh, make sure that we're keeping the walls yeah. around. That's what we're doing today. Um, it's very easy to get distracted, as you know, um, yeah. especially when we have an enormous amount of ideas and uh, f- further things that we want to achieve in life. Um, yes, that has certainly been a big lesson for me. Twelve and a half years of Arate is Richard, stop getting distracted by shiny new toys. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. stick to your knitting, Richard, stick to your knitting. I call it shiny syndrome. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, without a bit of shiny syndrome, life would be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, Judah, uh, just before we wrap it up, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, Judah when he's not at work, uh, what are the kind of things you like to get up to uh, to keep the petrol tank full? <laughs> I am a, uh, I'm a sport tragic. Right. So uh, 
if I'm not um, actively moving in uh, playing some level of sport, um, as silly as it sounds, having a kick of the footy, I love a mucking around with a footy, as right. silly as it sounds, uh, um, going for a, uh, a run or a wheel, whatever you like to call it, uh, some tennis, okay. some basketball, whatever it is. Uh, and outside of that, it's, man, I am a uh, sports couch potato. Right. If you so uh, last we're talking today, you know, the Olympics, right? Have you been watching much of the Olympics? I have, mate. I have. Really? It's, I... A, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a almost a 15-minutely check-up on what's happening. <laughs> You know, this is a, the difference. I think you and I are very similar in a lot of respects. You know, we love to be out there and shaking hands and kissing babies and, you know, uh, but I've not watched one minute of the Olympics. Really? Just, there is not one cell in my body that is interested in that. And I completely respect that people love it. I mean, uh, Brisbane, you know, getting the Olympics in 2023, no doubt we'll see you up here for that, Gina. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't really sort doesn't of... Doesn't do it for you. It doesn't yeah. grab my attention. Uh, but that's awesome. Well, look, um, Gina, really appreciate your time today. I know you're very busy, so I'll let you get on uh, with things. But... Um, uh, it's been fantastic to get to know you and your family over the years and, and to be of service. And uh, I'm very excited about the future of VAD and particularly as coming from that industry and understanding the uh, a lot of the challenges they face. I think you're on an absolute winner there and uh, I can't wait to hear about all of your successes. Yeah, thank you. It's been um, it's been a, a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. As, as you know, we've had some uh, interesting chats over time and uh, over the last couple of years we've got to know each other. Um, and, yeah, really uh, admire your input that you've had into our business, that's for sure. Well, I look forward to uh, getting back down to Wangaratta soon. Uh, the last time I came down, we, we spent a couple of days going around the local wineries and, uh, and, and it was uh, rather delicious. So, uh, COVID, please get rid of these lockdowns. They're driving me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Gina, have a fantastic afternoon and see you soon. Good on you. Thanks, Richard. Okay. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.